Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Always grateful to get to meet with you on Sundays. It's always good to be up here and see a full room, too, when we're all together in the summer. So just grateful you're here this morning. For those of you who may not know, my name is Tanner. I work here at the church mainly with our junior high students. Uh, But a couple times a year, I'll get a chance to come up here and share with you also. I'm excited to do that. this morning, I have a message I feel God has laid on my heart, and it's, it wasn't intentional. I just realized it as I watched the VBS skit, but it has to do with uh, kids and what they uh, represent to us. And so I'm, I'm excited to share what it is God has laid on my heart and the scripture that he laid on my heart. So this morning, uh, I have a few questions I want to begin with, just things to begin our conversation this morning. Um, they are these. How do we achieve greatness in this life? Do we have a correct definition of what it means to be great? Am I on the right path to success in this life? And am I measuring my success in this life correctly? Those are the questions I want to begin with. I think we all have an innate desire to achieve some sort of greatness in our lives. Maybe you're thinking today, I'm pretty okay with where I'm at, but I'm convinced that all of us at some point in our lives have a deep desire to somehow, some way, achieve some sort of greatness or success or something of the like. I think we could all probably agree upon that. And I'm not saying uh, you have to be the greatest at something in the world. I'm just saying everyone has a desire to be good at certain things. It could be something as simple as being a good or great friend, a successful friend, a successful or great mother or father, a uh, successful person at your job or a hobby like quilting or weightlifting or counseling people or training animals or cooking. It could be anything, right? We all have just certain areas of our lives where maybe we're a little bit gifted. God has given us a special gift in that area, and so we would like to see Maybe I can achieve something great in that area. And I think uh, that's an okay thing to have in us. It's an okay thing to have a desire to be excellent at something, to stand out, to be good at something, to be recognized for something. And again, I'm not saying that uh, we all need to be the Tom Brady's of quilting or the Michael Jordans of accounting or something like that. But I'm just saying we, we all have that desire to be good at something so that we can't, it's like something notable about ourselves. I think that's just something that's hardwired in us. I think we'd all agree upon that. It's not always a bad thing, but it could be a bad thing, though, to have an overemphasized desire to have some sort of greatness or success in those areas. The ways that it could go wrong are it could be a discouraging thing if you often fail to meet up uh, with what your expectations of being great at something is. So if you constantly are like, I want to be great at this, but I can't quite get there ever. I'm failing, failing, failing. Or it could be bad if it became distracting. If you had some success, actually, and you actually were, uh, as we, I'll talk about today, like climbing a ladder in this life, in, a, in worldly standards, you are finding success over and over again. That can be bad, too, because it could be distracting to us. It could take away from the important things in life. And so there's danger on both sides. Let's try to 
split the difference a little bit and see what is a good way to uh, seek out greatness, seek out success. Uh, what matters, though, is to see what greatness constitutes for Jesus, right? If we're going to call ourselves Christians, we need to value most and highest what God says about all things and what Jesus taught us about all things. And so that's what we're going to do today is look at a passage from scripture where Jesus talks about who's the greatest, okay? Uh, and as I alluded to earlier, it's, it, he uses a child as his sermon illustration to show who is the greatest. And so Jesus, uh, you can turn to Matthew uh, chapter 18 this morning. In this teaching of Jesus, he uses a child, but he's talking about the kingdom of God. If you pay attention as you read through the Gospels, the books that tell Jesus' story, more often than not, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. That's what he's preaching about all the time. And his message is generally this. It's, I have brought about a new kingdom. I'm, the, I'm ushering in a new kingdom here on our earth, okay? And it's called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And this kingdom that Jesus brings to earth and is beginning here on earth is drastically different than our kingdom that currently reigns all about us, okay? And so when he teaches about the kingdom, it's a little bit like these glasses I'm wearing. Many of you are wearing glasses. He teaches about the kingdom to correct our sight about how things actually are. When I don't have my glasses on and I'm driving, I can't see stuff far away, okay? Slightly dangerous, but when I pop my glasses on, I can see more clearly. When Jesus teaches about the kingdom, he's trying to give everybody a pair of glasses and say, okay, this is how things actually are. Here is the real clarity that you ought to be able to see if you see things the right way. So it's meant to give us a corrected view of spiritual reality in our world, which usually is directly opposed to how how we understand our world. So that's what Jesus is going to do. We're going to read uh, the first 14 verses, and we'll focus in on the first five. Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 1. It says this, At that time, the disciples who came to, Je came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eyes cause you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell." See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. 
Then there's a omitted verse in many of your translations probably, but it's the same verse that is in the Gospel of Luke where he says, uh, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Next verse, what do you think if man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about the one sheep than the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So let's focus in on those first five verses. I'll reread verse one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Here's their honest question to Jesus, right? Question that all of us might some way ask God in different ways as well. Who's, who's the greatest? But here's the thing about this question. It reveals the desire for status that the disciples had. And I think like I said, it reveals the desire for status that humanity has. In a lot of ways, the disciples are just a picture of what all people are kind of like. They ask the questions that we don't like to admit that we would probably have asked to, but they ask them, okay? So it, re- it reveals that desire that they have for status. Who is the greatest? Their real question below the surface is, which one of us will be in charge which one of us will be seen as most powerful? Because in the disciples' minds, they still didn't have a full picture, full understanding of what Jesus was actually doing. Their idea of what Jesus was doing, he's talking about he's bringing about a new kingdom. Their idea of a kingdom is a real king who sits on a throne and rules over the whole land, right? And so they're thinking, okay, the king has people who work for him or who are kind of his buddies, which one of us is going to be the second, or or your right-hand man? Which one of us is going to be in charge? Which one of us is going to be seen as powerful? If you dig deep enough into the question, that's kind of what they're actually asking. And what they were hoping for, I'm guessing, was for Jesus to just give them a name. And in classic Jesus fashion, he reads into the question enough to know, I'm not going to give an answer. Because I I thought about this this past couple weeks as I was studying this. Jesus likely knew that Peter would be the rock on which he would build the church. Jesus likely knew the futures of each and every one of the disciples who were sitting there asking this question. He knew what their destiny would be, where they would go off to in the world to preach the gospel, but he wasn't about to just give them the answer. Jesus knew what they were truly asking, and so he, he has to use it as a teaching moment, right? So verse 2 comes about. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. A little child would have been like a toddler, so a little, little tiny human being. And here is where my personal previous understanding of this passage uh, is, is different from what I learned in my study, the passage is actually talking about. Okay, This is where the difference begins, and I'll tell you about how I viewed it differently in just a few minutes. Here's where it was different. I, I didn't realize what a child represented in their time and age. 
A child represented a few different things. I'll, ex- I'll explain what they were. First off, children were of incredibly low value in their day and age. In the Roman world at that time in history, children were of incredibly low value. Part of the reason for that was because only about 50% of children born made it to the age of 10. And so one in every two kids is not going to make it to even like teenage age. It's something that was just a matter of fact. Medical technology had not progressed enough and kids passed away and so they just had a low value to people. On top of that, people viewed kids as expendable. When a family had a child, if they didn't want the child, they would just leave it outside and a thing called infant exposure, leave it outside the city gates and let nature or an animal or whatever happen to that child. It's horrible to think about, but we don't live in that far off of a different time, do we? So that's another thing. They're low value, they're expendable. Children, if they made it to kind of that 10, 9, 10, 11 year old age, were viewed very much so in a family unit as a servant to the family. They were less kids and they were more like adults in the making and servants to the family. That's what a picture of a child was. They were low value, expendable, and they were just simply a servant until they grew to an age where they could somehow actually go out and get some sort of job or do a trade and provide for their family in those ways. That's what children were viewed like in their day and age. And it's drastically different to how we view view children. Thank the Lord, right? Because here's the thing. God has forever valued children. Since the beginning of history that we have in the Bible, God has always valued children because they're made in his image. Every human is made in his image. And so naturally a child has uh, value. Their, uh, the ideas of the world around the disciples, though, was strong in their minds. They still, even if they were good Jewish boys and believed that God valued children, so they should value children as well, even if they were that way, the views of the world that children were expendable, low value, they might not make it to a very uh, high age, that was just part of what the disciples would have thought. And so Jesus as they ask, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's, which one of us is going to have the most power? He grabs a little scuff-kneed, snotty-nosed, dirt-covered child before him. And his message, he probably could have just had a, like a mic drop moment in that time, right? Because he could have just set him there, let him stew and think about like, here's, here's who is the greatest in the kingdom. But he obviously explains it further. To the disciples, a child meant basically nothing. Just, to- just terribly low value. On the social totem pole, they were at the very bottom. Verse 3. And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So here's Jesus' answer. Who will be in charge of the kingdom is the question. His answer is, I'm not even sure you guys know the way into the kingdom. That question exposes how far off your guys' thinking is. That's what Jesus' answer is, essentially. He says a couple things, unless you change. Another way for that phrase to be translated is, unless you are converted, unless you turn around, or turn back. 
In other words, this question shows me you do not get it. He says the kingdom of the way to the kingdom of God, just the way there, not even to be the greatest, is this way. You guys are heading this way. So unless you turn around, you're not even going to make it to the kingdom of God. You're not even going to make it to the kingdom of heaven. You must first turn around. Turn around and go the opposite way because you're heading the wrong direction. So you must, he says, unless you change and become like little children. And there's a hint about what he means by saying become like little children in the next verse. But basically what it is is this. You must change, that means turn around and become lowly. You must become humble. You must become servants. Otherwise, you won't even see the kingdom of God. Think to John chapter 3. You guys probably, most of you will know the story about Nicodemus coming to visit Jesus. Nicodemus is impressed with Jesus. He's a member of the high religious people in the day and age, and he goes to Jesus because he's like, we recognize you are from God, but he, he does it in secret. So he's like, I recognize it, but I kind of don't want my buddies to know I recognize it. And he's just kind of like inquiring of Jesus, like, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you here to do? And Jesus answered his first thing that he says to Nicodemus is, no one will see the kingdom unless they're born again. No one will see the kingdom unless they turn around and start back from the beginning. This is the same message that he's telling the disciples here just further on in the story. It's the same, same idea, same concept that he teaches to Nicodemus and is teaching to them. He's saying you need to start back from the beginning. You need to become like a little child. You need to be born Again, we talk about that in church. What does that mean? It means I have found a new life, and a new life has started in my heart. That is the basic sense of what Jesus is saying. You need to turn around, which is a representation of repenting from the life that we've lived, right? I'm heading the wrong direction. I need to go the right direction. Turn around, be born again. Verse 4 says, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So now Jesus truly answers. He explains his answer to them. He says, take on the lowly position of this child, and then you will become great in kingdom terms. That should be our measure of success in this life. If we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, we're going to call ourselves Christians, success is making it to the kingdom of heaven. And sure, let's, let's be great at the best thing that we could possibly be great at. Let's be great in the kingdom of heaven. But he shows us the direction to do that. So here's, here's where I misunderstood this passage for a long time. I used to understand this passage, Jesus saying, become like a little child as an advocating for uh, just living with more wonder or freedom or detachment from the things of the world, things that kids are like, right? I got to teach uh, in children's church last week, and yeah, it's always a refreshing thing to go try to teach the Bible to kids because I was like teaching it, and then all of a sudden, two of them were behind me somehow. Like, they're, kids, are, kids are great. They show us some great things. And that's, that's, that's good. They teach us some things. We ought to learn from them the positive things. But uh, 
there's some truth in that then. There's some truth in the fact that we can take from this passage, like, I need to become a little bit more childlike, right? And that's, that's true. That's biblical. I think that's right. But that's not the main point. That's not the primary point Jesus is trying to make. Here's how I know. He says, take the lowly position of a child, He's not saying take on the personality, take on the, the frame of thought of a child. He's saying take on the lowly position of a child. Here's how we know this is true. Jesus says a few things. He's saying kingdom greatness is achieved by descending, not ascending. In our world, we have that phrase, we climb the ladder, Right? We climb a ladder each time we buy something new and impressive, each time we get a promotion at work, we get an upgrade on our vehicle or whatever it is, things, things that the world looks at and goes, oh, that's pretty cool. They're, they're climbing the, ra- the ladder, right? But in the kingdom of God, greatness is achieved by descending to be, becoming more lowly, more humble, more meek, becoming more servant-hearted. You see, the willfully submitted in God's kingdom, the humble, the intentionally small people rank the highest. It's backwards, right? This is the lens uh, coming over our eyes moment that we should see in the kingdom of God. Oh man, things are way, way different. You don't climb, you climb the ladder, but you climb it down to be great in God's kingdom. And here's the good part of this. Jesus explains how to be great in the kingdom, and he says, whoever takes the lowly position of the child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does that. It's not possible for all of us to be the greatest here on earth, right? It's not, all, it's not possible for all of us to be the greatest. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to be, but we just can't, we aren't going to be great at every single thing. Every single one of you in this room can achieve kingdom greatness. You can become great. And it's not by doing a whole bunch of things, achieving a whole bunch of things, finding worldly success. It's by descending and becoming like a servant, becoming lowly in heart, becoming a humble person. Anybody can achieve kingdom greatness. Whoever, he says. That means anyone. And that also means anyone can see the kingdom. You don't have to achieve some great and amazing things that get you a lot of acclaim in this world to uh, get acceptance from God. God doesn't need you to do a whole bunch of things. He wants you to submit. That's what he wanted. That's what Jesus wanted the disciples to see. I don't need you guys to do some amazing things. I don't need you guys to want to be the greatest in the kingdom. I want you guys to realize going down is the way to greatness sinking down, descending is the way to be considered great. It's against our nature to believe this, I think, and even understand it because we have that desire in us to achieve greatness and this, it, this seems like we're going the other direction. Well, Jesus says, that's the way. We, we, think we're, we think we're on the right path to greatness by achieving a bunch of things. Jesus says, look, it's actually that way, right? It's going the opposite way. It's going down. Verse 5, and whoever come, welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. 
This is kind of a verse that encapsulates those other two chunks of passage that we won't go too deep into, but whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. It's so important. So what is one such child? It's not necessarily at this point uh, a toddler that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about people who are lowly. One such child represents people who... uh, in Jesus' way that he's explaining, have made themselves lowly and humble. But I think also included in that phrase, one such child, is people who are humble and lowly in life just because of the circumstances of their life. People who have just had a hard go at things. Where they've ended up in life has left them beaten down, lowly. They have been humbled by life and therefore they're humble. And so that, I think, is who Jesus is talking about now. And here's something that we need to see. Quick scan of the scriptures. I I went and did the homework, okay, about just about every scripture about children in scripture. Um, There are a couple sprinkled through that are like the positive things about being a child. Most of them are an advocation for us to not be like children, okay? It's It's not a virtuous, virtuous thing to be like a child in all cases. The Bible says like move on from being like a child most of the time. But here I think is one spot in this passage where Jesus is pointing to a thing that kids get right and we almost always get wrong. Here's what kids get right that we get wrong. Until a certain age, kid doesn't care what their friends are wearing, what kind of car their friend drives, what kind of house their friend has, what kind of toys their friends have even, right? Kids, have you ever seen videos of kids like meeting the president or like superstar athletes or something? Kids are just kind of, they might be excited, but they're just kind of like, well, whatever. And then they see their little friend from kindergarten, they run and give them a hug. Kids, kids get things right in that area. It's good to have respect for people of high status and whatever, but kids, kids see everybody on the same level. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. They don't have any self-serving motives when they see somebody come into a church or come into their place of work and they can tell they're in a lowly position. They're, they're low on the social status hierarchy. A child would welcome anybody. They're not going to care what that person has, what that person's done. They just care that they're there and they're a person and they are going to serve them. So an individual who's changed and become like a little child in Jesus' way, welcomes another of a lowly position. They welcome them. And they're free from that motive of self-service, doing anything that's just going to make me feel more prideful, like I'm climbing the ladder, right? They don't have to do that. And that way, they can actually meet the needs of that person of a lowly position. They don't care about making myself better while you go down, They're like, I'm just going to meet your needs. That's what a child is like in that way. There's no competition. There's no climbing of the ladder. We can welcome them. And when we welcome them, Jesus says, it's like we are welcoming him. A couple of things before we close. Just things to try to take from this scripture to internalize, remember, and try to guide us forward in a way that is the way that Jesus is advocating that we go, the right direction, right? How can we be great? I want to ask these questions again. 
How do we define greatness? Am I on the right path to greatness? Is my definition of greatness right? Am I going this way? Am I going this way? Which way should I go? Am I measuring my success in this life correctly? Am I measuring my success by the things that I'm accumulating or achieving? Or am I measuring success in the way that Jesus would, welcoming people, becoming like a little child? Let's, let's look at Jesus' life. We've heard his teaching about this. Let's look at his life and try to take something from it. Jesus is God become child, right? We, we often talk about how he was God become man. Before he was a man, he was born a baby. This is symbolic of Jesus' own descending. He, he climbed the ladder down to us, right? That's an image we're familiar with, and we talk about it at Christmas time. Jesus descends in probably to the lowest possible position that he ever could have. He was a baby, low value, expendable, might not have made it past the age of 10, born to an impoverished woman, both knocks in their time and age too, and she was found to be pregnant illegally, death, which earned her basically a death sentence in their time. Jesus probably, I would, it would be hard-pressed to find another set of scenarios where he could descend to a lower position for us, right? He descends all the way down. What else about Jesus? He is the embodiment in his life that we have recorded in the Bible. He is the embodiment of willful humility. Of all the people who didn't need to be humble, God himself, he chose to be humble. He was meek. He self-demoted. And yet he was courageous. And he had a confidence in who he actually was. He didn't need people to tell him how great he was, he understood his job. He understood his position. He understood, yes, I'm God, but I'm man too, and I'm here for a mission. I'm here to accomplish something. You see, the path to see the kingdom follows these same footsteps, willful humility, submission, self-demotion, but in understanding that I am who I am and God created me, and we'll talk about that here in a second. Finally, what about Jesus is important for us to take if we're thinking about this, this lowering of our own status. Jesus said in his prayer that he taught his disciples the first line, what does he say? Our Father. Our Father. Two, two things that show he's, he's on the same plane as us, even though he's not. And he's submitted to the Father. He depended on the Father so should we. That means there is, there is only one status difference that matters. It's that God is above, everything else is below. And Jesus understood that, and he represented that, and he showed us that, and he spoke it, its truth in that prayer. Our Father, he's below. I'm submitted to the Father, though I'm co-equal, co-eternal. So, that's what Jesus did with his life. He showed, he gave us another picture. He, he showed us the picture of the little child, the little toddler he set before them. But he also showed us how to do this with his own life. So here's what I want you to see. This is what I really hope that we can get and grab a hold of and take with us. You and I can know we are on the right path towards kingdom greatness. There's a multitude of ways that I think we can know, but there are some certain ones that I want to share with you today. I want to read for you Romans 
chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it for you quickly. It says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies himself. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is what Paul is saying here in this passage. The Holy Spirit is the mark that identifies those who've chosen with their life to become like little children and are on a path towards kingdom greatness. He says, by him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Where Jesus had the Spirit descend upon him in the form of a dove at his baptism, and as the disciples had the tongues of flame over their head at Pentecost, which we just celebrated last week, you and I ought to have the cry in our hearts, Abba, Father, a discernible cry in our hearts that we are submitted to God the Father. That's basically what that's meaning. I'm, I'm your child, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, you are my father. Jesus had the dove descend upon him. That is what gave him courage to do what he did. The disciples had tongues of flame, giving them the courage to go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel. You and I ought to have that cry in our heart that the Spirit brings forth, Abba, Father. We don't naturally have this, though. Sure, we have a desire for God, but it's only the children of God who possess the Holy Spirit who have that cry. It's only the children of God who have been born again. I was on a path this way to what I thought was greatness, but I've turned because God gives me grace and I've been born again and he gives me his spirit and then I cry, Abba, Father. So what's the guarantee? How, do I, how, do I, how can I dare to claim that we could know we're on a path to kingdom greatness? If you're on a path to kingdom greatness, you're walking this direction, the right direction. You're descending, becoming like a little child, and in your heart you cry, Abba, Father. That's how we should know. Willfully descend. But we don't naturally have it. A human, normal, people that you guys know don't naturally have that cry for God in their heart that the Spirit gives because they don't have the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit. We can seek change in our lives, but we can't seek that out before we have been born again. And so becoming like a child also means we're an heir. We're co-heirs with Christ, Paul says. This is wild to me that the maker of the universe, we can be considered co-heirs with him. Somehow in God's kingdom, it works out that those who follow Jesus' lead, descending, becoming willfully submitted, humble servants in this world, those people somehow receive the inheritance Jesus receives, which is life eternal in the kingdom of God. Do you see how that just flips everything upside down? We think in our lives that if I climb this ladder of success in this life and I try to, my best to achieve greatness, that I will somehow earn it for myself. But the reality is it's flipped upside down. If I descend, somehow, some way, in the grace and mercy and, and uh, 
extravagance of God, I get to be a co-heir with Christ. I get to inherit the kingdom of heaven some way, somehow, but I have to become like a little child. Take and follow the footsteps that Jesus showed us for how to achieve that. So think back with me to the disciples' question. Do you see now just how far off their question was? But we ask the same questions to God. We seek after the success of the world just like they do. We often misunderstand in the same ways. We strive, climb our ladders, we try to gain a claim, collect our things along the way, but the child of God is meant to live with unreserved trust in our Father. We don't have to frantically strive anymore. And the child of God lives with an unconditional and willful obedience to him as well. We don't have to be fearful of him. He's our father. We don't live in obligatory slavery to God. It's a, it's a privilege. We get to be co-heirs with Christ. And so as we close, maybe just bow your heads for a moment. Just a couple things to think about before we pray to close today. We ask the questions, what does it mean to be great? How do I find success in this life? I want to ask you a pertinent question as well, one more. And it's, does your heart cry, Abba, Father, as it's supposed to? And if not, it's my encouragement to you today, whenever you feel you're able to become like a little child. Whatever that looks like, however that might be, it means turning around, means submitting, it means descending. Father in heaven, at the beginning of this service, I pray that you would meet with us and speak to us as only you can. And I believe this morning that you have. I want to pray for each person here, Lord, that they have peace in their heart, that they know that they've been changed, that they've been converted, that they were walking one direction and now they're walking in your direction. They've been born again by the blood of Jesus. I pray for each person here, and if there is a person that is listening to the sound of my voice that does not have that assurance, help them not leave this place today without finding a pastor or someone to talk to so that they can have that peace in their heart. And that idea of crying out, Abba, Father, you gave me this picture in my mind, Lord, of Isaiah 41, where you tell us, do not be dismayed, do not be discouraged, for I am your God, and I will hold you with my righteous right hand. Father, I pray that each person that can hear the sound of my voice, because we've been converted, because we cry, Abba, Father, in our own hearts, that we would hang on tightly to your hand as we walk in the direction that you would have us go. That we would not be like that picture that Tanner gave us with a little boy or a little girl trying to shake free from their dad's hand or from their mom's hand because they want to go their own way. Oh my gosh, Lord, help us to hang on tight to you. Help us to never have a desire to shake our hand free from yours and to go a different direction. We need you. We can't do this without the power of your Holy Spirit that our pastor this morning encouraged us to hang on to. It is not by our strength that we do this. It's by us descending, surrendering, being lowly, of, lowly in position and lowly of heart 
and in desperate, utter dependence on you. Help us to be a church that walks that way. Then we can be a light and a hope in a very dark situation that the world presents because we can point people to our Savior. When they see us, may they see you. When they hear our voices and the words we use, may they hear you. And when they just, when our friends and our family are in a hopeless spot, Lord, help them to reach out to us so that we can point them to you because we love you. So thank you for your word. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for teaching us this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit what it is to be great in the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.